Welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast with Mike Dukovich, financial advisor and retirement income certified professional with RBC Wealth Management. Join us as we share the tools and insight that can help you take control of your money and your life. Because we believe life's greatest returns are realized when you invest beyond your money. And welcome to the Beyond Your Money podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mike Dukovich. I'm a financial advisor, a retirement income certified professional, a certified plan fiduciary advisor, and a first vice president financial advisor with RBC Wealth Management. For those of you who have tuned in before, welcome back. And for anyone that's listening for the first time, this podcast is designed to help you take control. And we do that by discussing financial topics that are timely and relevant and hopefully applicable to your own wealth plan. Today on Beyond Your Money, we're going to talk about something that's very important to me and something I like to talk about with all of my clients, and that's financial literacy. And to do that, I've brought Patrice Sikora back to the show to help talk about that. Patrice, as always, thanks for joining us. Mike, thanks a lot for having me here in financial literacy. We don't have it. We just don't have it in the U.S. You're exactly right. It's a, it's a problem. The U.S. really doesn't focus on financial literacy. It's not necessarily part of our curriculum in high school. I think it should be. And it's something I try and relay to my clients that hopefully the more you know about these topics, the better off your own wealth plan is going to be. And so it's something that's very important. And I'm glad that you're here to talk about it with us. I am too. So where do you want to start? Well, so financial literacy, you know, I think, first of all, let's kind of talk about what that means. I mean, financial literacy refers to the knowledge and the skills and the understanding of financial concepts that enable individuals to make informed and effective financial decisions. And it, it involves various aspects of a personal financial plan, including investing, budgeting, saving, managing debt and credit. Understanding credit is a big thing, and we're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, retirement planning and, and making sure that you have a, enough money to retire. So financial literacy, it basically equips individuals with the tools and the knowledge that, that are required to make wise financial decisions. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Well, I guess, I guess that I would say financial literacy right now for most people is in the form of plastic. It is a card. That's all it is. <laughs> Whether it's a debit card or a credit card, you know, it's cert certainly something that most people tend to understand. I think some people use those things correctly. Some don't. And you're right. You know, that, that credit issue is something that we're going to talk about. That's a big component of financial literacy. And we're going to talk about that in today's show. So thanks for bringing that up. But why don't you start with budgeting? Because I guess that really is pretty much, I don't know, is that the cornerstone, would you say? And it's funny you say that budgeting isn't necessarily something that most people are interested in talking about. When people talk about budget, it typically means that you're putting handcuffs on how they spend money and, and no one really wants to talk about that. But mm -hmm. it's important. It's important you understand what the budget is, what it looks like, how it's constructed so that you can make wise decisions. And so, yeah, let's start there. Let's start, start with budgeting. So Again, budgeting is often a word that is misconstrued. You, you don't have to really um, force yourself to spend within a budget. That, that isn't necessarily what we're talking about. What we're talking about by budget is basically knowing what you're spending versus what you're bringing in, right? Your income versus what you're spending and, and what you're spending money on. That's also an issue. So when we talk about budgeting with our clients, we want to make sure that 
our clients at least know what is coming in from an income perspective and that they know what's going out. And the easiest way I can describe this when I'm talking to a client is X is coming in, Y is going out. And we want to make sure that whatever is left over is a positive number, if, if you can help it. And let's be honest about why, what is going out. Absolutely. You want to be, you want to be aware of what you're spending money on. You want to make sure that it's reasonable and it's just, and it, you know, it really changes your life for the better. And honestly, when we start talking to our financial planning or our wealth planning clients about their budget, typically they already have a pretty good sense as far as where their investments are and the retirement plan and things of that nature. And, and when I, when I talk to them about budgeting, they kind of roll their eyes, <laughs> yeah. right? We, we've already save enough money. We're comfortable in our retirement world and, and we don't really have to worry about what we're spending month to month. But it's a useful exercise when they actually dive in to those expenses. And I tell people, you know, when you work on a budget, you don't necessarily have to know where every penny is going. You can make round, round the numbers up, that sort of thing. But it, it can sometimes be alarming as to where your money is going if you're not familiar with your budget. One of the things that's very prevalent right now is these subscription services, whether oh, it's for yes. streaming television or, or music or whatever, you would be absolutely astonished at how much money is, is coming out of a, a, you know, a relatively wealthy person's, you know, monthly budget that they're not aware of, you know, whether it was a subscription they signed up for years ago, they don't use, or they've forgotten about, or someone else has signed up, you know, within the family. We run into that all the time where you see $20 or $30 or $9.99 or whatever coming out every month. And so it's important to understand what your budget looks like, where that money's going, and to make sure that you review it every once in a while. And I think you've hit a key point there. You forget about these things. Maybe you do continue to use it, but you don't realize how much it's costing you. Or as you say, you just don't even use it. Sure. I'm guilty of this myself, mm -hmm. right? We had uh, a situation personally where we had to pay for the upgraded you know, Google space whatever it happened to be, right? You're paying right, for an additional right. terabyte of space, things like that. And all of a sudden we realize we're paying for three of those and it doesn't really make sense why we had to pay for three additional subscriptions. And, and that that's an issue we had to address. And, and not that it was a crippling amount of money, but it was money that we didn't even realize we were spending. It was coming right out of the account. So looking at the budget's important. You want to readdress that often just to make sure that you're aware. And with regards to budgeting, itself, you can use various tools. There, there are basically budgeting websites and apps that are available to help you follow where your dollars are going and to understand where they're going and how often they're going there. I personally love using an app. It's on my phone. Every time I have an expense or pay a bill, I hurry up and just put it right into that budgeting app. Now, Honestly, it doesn't necessarily help from the standpoint of just making sure that, uh, you know, that I know where the money is going, but it, where it does help is at the end of the year when tax time rolls around. Good point. I, I have a log as far as every dollar that has come out of our budget. And so it just helps get things organized for our tax preparer. And so I, I love using apps like that, whether you're using it to understand your spending or to curb your spending that, you know, that can help in that regard, but it also just helps stay organized when you and need that. As you said, it's not a punitive thing. It shouldn't be a punitive thing, but it does give you an idea. It's not like going on a crash diet. If you see there's an issue, you can correct it, but you don't have to go overboard either. Right. And remember, you know, a little budgeting goes a long way, yeah. right? So just by knowing what you're spending and knowing where your money is going, I mean, that's, that's some pretty powerful information. And then also too, I mean, when you do a budget, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone has to know about it. 
right? It's not necessarily this public affair. It's a private issue. It's a private practice. So there's no prying eyes. There's no judgment. It's just you and your goals and your financial strategy. And that's designed to help you transform your dreams into reality. Knowing what is coming in and what you're spending money on, that's powerful stuff. It is. It is. And again, be honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help if you're not being honest with yourself, <laughs> right? It. If you were going to the coffee shop and you're spending $6 a day on coffee, well, as we all know, that adds up. And if you're not honest and you're not putting that in the budget, then you know, certainly it's not going to help. Right. So moving on, how about debt? That's another one. You know, so debt is one of those things that's, it's misunderstood, you know, in our society at times, you know, I think we've done podcasts on this in the past where we talk about good debt versus bad debt. So we'll, we'll kind of readdress that. Quite frankly, you know, debt is a necessary component to your wealth plan. It's a, it's a way of creating liquidity when you don't necessarily have the, the dollars to do so. You're borrowing, whether it's from a bank or an institution or family member, perhaps. But debt and, and how you use it is very important. It's important that you understand how it works into your own wealth plan. So when I talk to my clients about debt, we talk about how to manage it. And ultimately, it boils down to a conversation about the delineation between good debt and bad debt. And Patrice, I know we've talked about this before. Might as well readdress it. When we talk about debt, you first of all, you, you want to make sure you're taking out debt for the right causes. You know, it doesn't necessarily to make it doesn't necessarily make sense to go into a debt situation for a cause that's not just, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people, when they think about debt, they think about their mortgage. That's usually the biggest one that most people have. You know, that's a good thing to take debt out for. Where people run into the problem is if they take debt out for things that don't necessarily make sense, you know, whether that's a huge vacation or whether that's things that they're spending on with regards to, you know, enjoyment or, or things of that nature. If you have to borrow to go on vacation, it doesn't necessarily make sense a whole lot of times, right? So you want to make sure you're borrowing for the right reasons. The other thing that you want to keep track of is the interest rate at which you're borrowing. And that for me is really the key point as far as good debt versus bad debt. If you are borrowing and, and your interest rate is somewhere around that 7% range right now, based off of you know the current interest rate environment, that's my kind of line in the sand. If mm. you can borrow and your interest rate is less than seven, so if you think about a mortgage at four or 5%, that is under that 7% range, I would consider, consider that good debt. Okay, that's something that is not necessarily at the crippling, you know, at, at the high level. Why, as far you, as, why, why do you choose seven, Mike? Well, seven, uh, you know, and that can fluctuate depending on where the market is right. at that particular point in time. But what I think about is if I have an extra dollar, right, that I could theoretically put towards the debt, pay off the debt quicker, or I could take that dollar and invest it. What I right. tend to think about is, you know, what's that time value of money? What's that opportunity? As, as far as where that dollar can go in the investment world. And, and if I'm just using average numbers, the long-term average return in the S&P 500, for example, a lot of people figure is 8%. So if I can take that additional dollar that I have, that discretionary dollar, and I could theoretically invest it, I would hope to make over time around 8% on average. If my debt is less than that, if my debt payment is less than that, then I'm okay. I, I'll take that extra dollar and I'll invest it because I'll make more than the debt payment, than the, than the interest mm -hmm. payment is. Now, if we're talking about you know higher debt, whether that's credit card debt, well, we'll just use that as an example. 
credit card debt, let's just hypothetically say it's 20%, 25%. That's not so hypothetical either. It is. A no, that's realistic. Range. And and if, if you're running a credit card balance and those debts are in the 20% plus range, well, that extra dollar that you have in your pocket is better off going to paying down that debt as fast as you possibly can. Because effectively your dollar is making whatever the interest rate is that you're paying off. So if you have a 25% interest rate on your credit card, you put your extra dollar towards that, you've effectively saved yourself 25%. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get that type of return in the market over time. Okay. So it, it really boils down to what are you paying as far as a debt payment, as far as the interest rate payment, excuse me, and, and what you could theoretically make in the market over time. And that's really where I come up with, you know, okay, let's take that extra dollar and put it into the market or pay down the debt. And you can certainly, you can split the ticket. You can put some towards the debt, some towards the investment. And, you know, the thing I always try to relate to folks is if you take your dollar and you invest it, you can always come back down the line and pay the debt. You mm -hmm. can play that card later, right? Where if you pay down the debt at the front end, you can't do, you can't reverse it. You can't in three years say, oh, I wish I would have invested three years ago and, and reverse that trade. Whereas if I put that dollar into an investment, three years later, I wake up in the middle of the night and I want to pay off my mortgage for whatever reason. You can sell your investment and pay off the mortgage at that point. You can play that card later. So I always tell people with debt, so long as it's good debt and at a favorable interest rate, you know, don't lose too much sleep over it. You want to use debt wisely. And that's one of the ways of, of staying on, on, on track with it. Now, part of debt, you mentioned this at the very beginning, Patrice, is credit. Yeah. Right. Credit is an issue, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's something that if more people knew about it, knew how to, how to use it and understood it, it can be a powerful tool in your financial toolbox. So let's just talk about that for a minute. I try to relay this to folks um, and, and certainly try to have them relay it to their kids, their young kids that are, you know, maybe just getting started. Uh, it's a conversation I have a lot when kids are going into college, but credit is a tool. It's a way of, again, borrowing money in a short time frame. And so if you think about credit cards, for example, if you use credit cards correctly and you, and you use them and then you pay it down, you pay it off within the month, right. Right. you never run into interest. You never run into credit card interest. So it's, it's just a useful tool. It's convenient. It's easy. You don't have to carry cash around. It just makes everything a lot faster, a lot quicker with regards to the transaction itself. Where people run into problems is if they don't pay that bill every month, then everything that they've charged starts to amass that interest. And as we talked about just a minute ago, that interest is typically pretty high. And so you don't want to get into that negative snowball effect where you just, you, you can't get in front of the credit card payments. So what I always tell people is if you're going to use a credit card, use it in such a way where you are disciplined, where you understand how to use it and where you can pay it off in a monthly fashion, you know, know how much you can spend towards your credit card and, and don't spend more than that. A lot of people have this misconception and if they have a a $5,000 or a $10,000 credit limit that they have to use all of that. They don't. You don't. That's, right? if, and that is so key, especially for college kids. I have heard stories of kids getting their first credit card and saying, oh, I have $5,000. They want me to spend $5,000. No, my friend, it is not that way. Right. It, just because you have a, a $10,000 limit, it, it does not mean, and, and I'll say it again, it does not mean you have to use it all. Right. Right. Let's just talk about that real quick with regards to a, a new student, perhaps going off to college. Typically, this new student is just starting their financial life, 
right? They're, you know, they're branching out for the first time on their own. And, and I actually recommend, and this might be a surprise to, to some people, but I actually recommend that their parents help that child get a credit card before they go off to college. And a lot of people look at me funny and say, oh, that might be, you know, the start of something terrible and a bad habit. Well, honestly, what we're doing here by talking about credit at that age is you're teaching them, right? Hopefully they're going to learn how to use credit effectively. But what's also important is they're going to start to build credit. They're going to start to build their credit report, right. which is very important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. A credit report's very important down the line when you go to buy a house or a car, for example. And so when kids are going off to college, I typically will talk about opening a credit card and you can start with a very low limit, which a lot of people don't think about. You can set your own limit. You know, a lot of times the credit card company is going to give you a high limit, right? They're going to say, you can't go any higher than this. Well, you can take it at a lower limit. You can say, well, I understand you're going to be 5,000, but I want to make my limit 1,000. Mm. I want to make it a lower limit. And what you're doing there, you're basically just putting guardrails on your own credit card or on your child's credit card. And, and what I typically will tell a student, use your credit card in college, put your gas on the credit card or put your, you know, put your food on the credit card or put your books on the credit card, you know, put one item on your credit card so that you know you can pay that off every month. And effectively what you're doing is you're starting your credit history. You're starting to build your credit. And so long as you do pay it off month to month, you're going to build a very healthy and a good credit report. And that's that's really the first way a, a person can start building credit is, is through a credit card. It's very easy to do. And so long as you use it responsibly, it makes a lot of sense. And I suppose if you're going to mess up, you might as well mess up early on. And mess up early and with a low and with a low credit limit, right? right? Yes. I, I'd rather mess up with a thousand dollar credit limit than a ten thousand dollar credit Absolutely. limit. Absolutely. Since we're talking about it, this actually came up in a, in a recent client meeting, but you have that credit card as a young student, you use it responsibly, responsibly, and you're, you're building your credit. That's great. 10 years down the line, you, you know, maybe you're married, you're buying your first house, your credit um, rating is, is great. That's all gravy. That's good. That's why you're using it. What I've seen happen though, is some people will take that, that first credit card at some point and close it out, right? And say, oh, I don't need my I don't need my first credit card anymore. You know, there's only a thousand dollar limit. I got this new credit card that has a much higher limit. Well, what I typically recommend is keep that first credit card because what happens is if you stop using that, effectively your credit history gets shortened because the moment you use that credit card, you begin your credit report, you begin your credit history. Mm -hmm. And so if you use that for 10 years and then open up a new credit card that you're going to use, you know, perhaps more so because of a higher credit limit and you get rid of the old one, you've effectively lost 10 years of credit history. Oh, right. You want to keep your first credit card as long as you can, because that's where your credit typically starts. And so one way of doing that is just setting a reminder in your calendar where you're going to use your first credit card once a year or once every six months so that you know it stays active, mm -hmm. right? Because if you don't use a credit card every so often, you know, they could just close it and shut it down. And you don't want that to happen because you're going to lose that credit history. So part of a credit report is how long you have had credit. And so again, I, I like the idea of trying to keep that first credit card in perpetuity. And I have heard people say, oh, the more credit cards you have, the better your credit report. 
that could be true, right? Because as so long as you're using irresponsibly, if you have more credit available, that, that tends to help and look favorably on a credit report. Now, if you have a bunch of credit cards out there and they're all with balances month to month and you're not paying them off, that, that has a negative impact. So it's a catch-22, right? You want to have credit available so long as you're using it responsibly. But if you can't use it responsibly or, or, or you don't trust yourself to use it responsibly, then it doesn't make sense. Stick with one or two that you know you're going to be able to pay off every month. All right. Shall we tackle saving? So savings, the other big one. A lot of people, when we're talking about financial literacy, just kind of assume that you save and that's going to be it. Well, savings important. Obviously, I always tell people save early and save often. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm serious with that. When you look at the compounding effect of money, when it's invested, you are much better off saving earlier, even if it's a smaller amount, then you are saving a higher amount down the line because that time value of money, that money in the investment for longer really starts to take hold, really starts to get that compounding growth to take, take place. And so I always tell people save early as, as early as you possibly can, even if it's a smaller amount. And that, and that comes into line too with, with kids going to college for the first time mm -hmm. or you know maybe just getting out of college with their first job. If you can save 20 bucks here and there, 50 bucks here and there, 100, whatever the budget allows, do it and do it early and you'll see uh, over time how much of an impact that really takes on. You know, the concept of compounding is something that we are not taught when we should be taught and that's at least in high school. Yeah, it's, again, we've talked about this, you know, on and off the air, Patrice. I, it, I think that finance 101 or, or financial literacy or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, that should be a, that should be a class in high school, just like, science and biology and math and English. It, it should mm -hmm. be something that we teach our kids and we're just not doing it. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think if kids came out of high school with some sort of basic understanding of this stuff, we'd be much better off as a society and as a country and a whole. It's, it's fascinating. It's terrifying how little the U.S. population really knows about money and saving and retirement planning. The, the average 65-year-old has yet to save for retirement. That statistic is shocking. It scares me. And it's, it's, it's just, it speaks to the lack of education on this topic. I didn't realize it was at 65 that there's no time. What are you going to do? Well, <laughs> you you know, social security. That's their point. They just assume that social security is going to be around and it's going to pay for, you know, all of their bills. And it, social security was not designed to do that. And it's not going to do that. That, that system needs addressed and needs fixed. And, and it's going to take some time to do that, but it's certainly not meant to pay for all of a person's retirement budget. So again, when we talk about saving, especially with young folks, we just try and make sure that they understand save early, save often. And ultimately too, if you are able to save a few dollars, you want to make sure that you're investing it. You know, there, there are charts that I show clients where saving a dollar and just putting it into the shoebox or keeping in your savings account, for example, over time, doesn't really do too much. You, you don't really have any of that compounding growth taking hold. So you want to save and then you also want to get it invested. And that's another, another main financial literacy topic uh, that we're going to talk about in a minute here. But with regards to saving, the two other points I, I wanted to make here is it's important to understand and kind of know the difference between qualified and non-qualified savings. Uh, qualified savings is, is money that becomes tax deferred and is actually, it, you're putting money away for the future, ideally for retirement, because you start getting some 
some tax deferred growth to take hold. And, and that can be meaningful over time. Non-qualified is, is, is money that is not necessarily in a tax deferred vehicle. It's good to have that as well because that's accessible and, and it could be liquid and it could be available for to use before retirement, but you end up paying tax on it if you make money year after year. And, and so th- it's important to kind of understand the two differences there and to you know ideally take advantage of both if you have the opportunity. Then with regards to savings, we're also talking about filling the appropriate buckets. We've talked about this. We did a show on this, mm-hmm. but basically the sequence of saving. And the idea is if you have this discretionary dollar, where do you put it first and in which order? And not to, you know, not to get too detailed on this, might as well review it. The sequence of savings that I like to tell a client is, is first of all, you want to fill up your emergency bucket, you know, your rainy day fund. And I typically will recommend somewhere between three to six, maybe even 12 months worth of living expenses in that emergency bucket, depending on the situation. Once you've done that, then you can start saving into qualified retirement plans, ideally to take advantage of a retirement match that your employer provides. If you have a match at work and you're not taking advantage of it, you're leaving free money on the table. Right, right. And as we've talked about, that's the bare minimum that you want to put in to a retirement account at work. If they're going to put in three, if you put in three, then guess what? You want to put in three, Yeah. right? If you have to put in six to get their three, then that's the bare minimum. You should be putting in six. So, you know, again, the emergency bucket overflows into the employer match bucket. Once you've captured at least the full employer match, you've gotten that free money, then that bucket overflows into a couple of different options. You can invest more into retirement accounts. You can invest into the non-qualified assets, again, that you could use down the line for liquidity in the short term if you needed it. You could theoretically invest into college savings accounts. You can invest in a, a lot of different things, but you want to make sure those other buckets are filled first. Got it. Let's talk about, let's switch gears a little bit here and let's kind of dive into the investing, right? Mm-hmm. Because as, as I said before, savings important, but it doesn't really help you unless it's working for you, unless it's invested. And, and a couple of the different investment 101 or finance 101 topics I like to talk about with new clients or young clients as they're getting started is, is a couple nuances with regards to investing. The first one is know the difference between investing and trading. This became very eye-opening during the whole COVID market back in 2020, mm-hmm. where coming out of COVID, a lot of people got very interested in the meme stocks or the Robinhood type of trading accounts, the online trading accounts, those platforms. I mean, very easy for the individual investor to, to get into the market, to get into trading. And, and ultimately, trading is one thing, investing is another, and you have to understand the difference. When, when I work with a client, I'm working on investing. We're putting money away for the future. We're managing it responsibly. We're not trying to hit the home run day after day because honestly, that becomes a fool's errand at times. If you don't have all the information, you can't react quickly and you don't have the the knowledge or the wherewithal to, to handle that, you know, you don't want to be involved with it. So you want to put your, I call it your serious money into long-term investments. And that's what we do for our clients. Trading is different. Trading is you trying to buy something at a price and trying to sell it at a higher price in a very short period of time. You know, all those different meme stocks, we can also talk about cryptocurrency kind of in a similar fashion. You know, there are a lot of different things, you know, the buzzworthy investment topics of the day, 
right? If you're reading about it day in and day out, and there seems to be a following on TikTok or, or Instagram about these different investment themes, typically those are not investments. They are trades. And in order to get a trade right, you have to buy at a lower price and sell at a higher one. And un uh, unfortunately, a lot of people just don't understand or have the, the experience to do that effectively time and time again. And so ultimately, if you're going to trade, you have to be on, on, you have to understand that you could be on the wrong end of that trade at mm -hmm. some point, right? And you have to be uh, aware of that and ready for that if you're going to get involved in that world. And so I always tell people that trading is not investing. If you're going to trade, if you want to have your play account, right, on the side and you want to get involved in these various things, do you, that's fine. But you don't want to put your serious money there. You don't want to put the house on it. Right. right. Because trading, another way of thinking about trading, it's kind of like going to going to the casino. <laughs> right. If you hit it right, then great. You leave happy. But you also you don't want to take any more money into the casino than you're willing to lose. But also and, remember, and, if you hit it right, you're still not an expert. Don't worry about that. You're not an expert. You can get lucky trading. And, and sometimes I'd rather be lucky than good. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it right the next time. And, and with that meme craze and in in coming out of COVID, that's what happened. You know, those things ran up by the time the average Joe heard about it and started putting his own money into it. The trade was over. And, and it's kind of the who gets left holding the bag kind of thing. So you always want to be aware of trading is not necessarily investing. And, and you want to be aware of that difference. Um, when, when I'm working with my clients and, and we're investing their serious money, we typically we focus on the long term. Mm -hmm. Right. We want to make sure that we're putting things away in a diversified manner and that we understand what the risk tolerance is, what the time horizon is for our, you know, for our clients. And, and listen, asset allocation and diversification does not necessarily assure a profit or, or guarantee to protect against a loss. But when you're diversified, meaning you put your, you know, you put your money in various areas of the market, large cap, mid cap, small cap international, uh, fixed income, and there's different types of fixed income. If you have your money kind of spread across the different asset classes in an appropriate allocation for your age and for your risk tolerance, typically over time, that will reduce your risk. It doesn't necessarily protect you or mm -hmm. guarantee that you're not going to have a downturn. You know, you certainly will. And I tend to tell clients to expect that at some point. But if you're diversified, it tends to it tends to weather those storms a little bit better. It makes the roller coaster ride a little more bearable, and and ultimately having a long term focus with a diversified investment theme, uh, with a sound asset allocation based off of the client's age and, and time horizon. That's that's how you make real money over time. That's how you build a portfolio that's going to weather the storms, weather the ups and downs, and that's and that's what we do. That's what we do for our clients. You also, when you're talking about investing, you also want to know your limits. You want to you want to make sure that you understand and invest in things that you know and that you're comfortable with. You want to want to make sure that you're hiring good managers, managers of funds or ETFs or whatever you're whatever you're trying to get involved with. You want to do your research or make sure that whoever is working for you is doing their research, right? You don't want to just throw the money willy-nilly wherever it makes sense. You want to make sure that you're doing it with a plan. And I try to emphasize this a lot. It's, you know, it's something that kind of makes sense for what I do, but you want to try to get advice. You, you want to get someone who knows what they're doing to help you with it if you aren't comfortable doing it alone. And we've talked about this. I know this is one of the things that we love talking about, but you want to know who you're getting that advice from. Yes. Right. I always talk about beware of the brother-in-law, <laughs> right? 
if your brother-in-law who happens to be a, a dentist or a mailman or a barber or whatever starts giving you financial advice, you have to be aware of, of where this advice is coming from. And I always tell people if, if no offense to mailmen or, or the brother-in-laws out there, right? But if, if someone that's not necessarily in the financial world is starting to give you stock advice, it's typically a, a good idea to turn around and, and walk the other way. So, you know, get advice where you can, but understand and know who the advice is coming from. And remember, if it is the brother-in-law or the dentist, they're probably telling you about their wins. They're not telling you about the ones they didn't win. 100%. That happens all the time, right? When you go to a cocktail party or, you know, a, a picnic or something, someone starts talking about this great investment that, they, that they've made. I kind of look at them, you know, with, you know, with a curious grin, I'm like, okay, well, what about the other 10 losers that you've made in the same time frame? You know, because you're exactly right. People are going to brag and tell you about all their wins and not necessarily, um, there's no disclaimer, right? You know, it's just the one <laughs> win and, and, you know, the one win and there, there are a bunch of losses that came along with it. So again, it's get advice, but know who you're getting it from. All right. Let's talk about uh, retirement planning too. That's a big issue with regards to financial literacy. As we talked about, as a, as a country, we're just not saving for retirement. It's, it's going to be a big issue. Um, it, it's an issue for individuals, but it's going to be a big issue in general for the country at some point. And it's important that when we talk to our young professionals that are just getting started, getting them to save for their own retirement is very important. And that's really the only way we're going to dig out of the hole is to make sure that people understand early on that they have to plan for their own retirement and that the government is not going to do it for them. Not anymore. Okay. Mike, so in your opinion, Mike, why do you think people are not, or, or they're 65 retirement is ahead and they haven't done anything. Why? Well, I think they were just misguided or at an early age, you know, perhaps they were looking at things from an earlier generation and they saw their parents or their grandparents living off of social security and pensions and, and they were comfortable, but prices have gone up. Our lifestyles have changed. People are spending more money. And these pensions are typically a thing of the past. You're not seeing those as prevalent anymore. Social security is just not paying for as much as it used to, right? The dollar's not going as far as it was. And you're just not getting as much bang for your buck as you were. And so if people were able to recognize that in the 70s and 80s when they started, I think it would have been a different story. They just kind of assumed that their retirement would look the same as their parents and their grandparents. And it's, it didn't work out that way. That's why you're seeing a lot of employers start to move from those, those pension type programs into right. more of the 401k programs, because they're recognizing that they don't want to be involved. They don't want to be responsible for your retirement. They want you to be responsible for your own retirement. And so that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make sure that people understand that they, they should understand that your employer and the government, they're not going to be around to help you for your own retirement. You, you need to save your own dollar. And, and again, you want to try and do that as early as you can, as often as you can. You want to make sure it's invested wisely. You want to make sure that you're, you're putting some money into qualified plans. So you're getting that tax deferred growth where you can. And as you get closer to retirement, you want to make sure that your, your allocation and your asset allocation and your diversification are adjusted. You, you don't want to be as aggressive as as you are when you're 65, as you were when you're 35, right? As you get older and closer to retirement, you want to dial back. You want to go a little more conservative. And that's what we do for our clients. You want to help with that. You also want to make sure that you're preparing for the unforeseen, right? You know, everyone kind of has an idea of what's going to happen, but you, you just never know. And so when we're building portfolios and talking to our, 
uh, retirees or people getting close to retirement, we want to make sure that they also have that rainy day issue or, you know, they want to, we try to model out various doomsday scenarios for them to make sure that their retirement plan can weather those unforeseen storms. So you want to stress test it, right? And we'll do that. And, you know, that's important for retirement planners. And again, you want to manage your debt, you understand your credit, you know, how it all inter- interacts with one another. And, and honestly, it's tough to do it alone. So you want to get help. You want to make sure that you're working with someone that can help you and help you responsibly. And you want to work on that budget because you're going to need it there too in retirement. Debt management, expenses, as you said, the unforeseen. We, we have a f- phenomenal piece of software that I love using with my clients that are getting closer in retirement. Uh, we use it just about in every meeting and it basically goes through your retirement budget and, and extrapolates how long your money is going to last based off of what you're spending with the budget you give us, the money that you have, social security, taxes, inflation, basically it spits out your money is going to last for X amount of years. And, and so it's important for people to understand that and to see that, whether it's a good outcome or a bad one, mm-hmm. right? If, if you have plenty of money and you're not going to outlive it, great. Maybe you can do some other things that you weren't even other you weren't even really thinking about, whether that's gifting or spending more, going on bigger vacations, things like that. But it's also important for people to understand that if it doesn't turn out well, right? If they look at this retirement plan and they see that they're likely to run out of money at some point, that's important information to have. Oh, yeah. Maybe you can start planning for that. Maybe you could prevent that. Maybe you can let your money sit in years where the market is, you know, perhaps a little choppy or a little volatile. And, and so there's ways of, of helping a retirement plan last longer. And, and, and again, this all comes, it all comes into play with regards to hiring a professional, working with someone that has the tools and, and to, that can help you do that. All right, Mike, is there anything we haven't touched on you still want to make sure we do? We covered well, a lot today. We've covered a lot. Um, financial literacy is something we're going to talk about. I think the next couple of shows, we're also going to continue that conversation. We're going to talk a little bit more about cash flow and, and debt management, as well as credit um, and, and, and you know just the overall idea of budgeting in general. So we're going to talk about that some more. But I think ultimately, too, one of the things that um, I always try to relate to clients, especially new ones or, or again, folks with younger kids is, is to find great resources out there. There's a lot of tools out there that people can use. Uh, there's a lot of good websites that I use on a daily basis. Almost our website, you know, my website at michaeldukovic.com, which piggybacks off of the RBC website. That's a phenomenal resource. I tend to, to steer clients to quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of good podcasts out there, at least one that I am very familiar with beyond your money podcast, but there's quite a few out there that can help. There's a great resource called Investopedia that is kind of like the encyclopedia of investment, right? And so that's a good one. I also get a lot of uh, new clients and young families a, a book. It's called Your Guide to Understanding Investing. It's a tall, narrow book. It's basically Finance 101, but it's a phenomenal resource for folks that are just trying to get started and really don't know too much about the markets or the investing world. So that's a good one. So, you know, educate yourself. It's important to understand what's going on. It's important to find resources where you can get advice where you can and, you know, just learn about this stuff. Because if you're not learning about it, you're going to be stuck in a situation. A lot of people are finding themselves in without the necessary tools to, to retire when they want to or, or the way they want to. So the knowledge is power, right? So the more you can learn about this stuff, the better you're going to be. All right. And listeners, remember, when you are making these types of decisions, you should consult a financial professional. 
A financial plan should take into account a number of different elements, including various products, investments, and strategies. And with so much to consider, it is in your best interest to talk with a financial advisor before attempting to build a plan on your own. That's right. And to that point, if, if you or a loved one needs some help or some guidance with regards to your own personal wealth plan, or if you're simply interested in learning more about me and my practice, you can reach out by calling 724-933-4446. You can email me directly at michael.dukovic at rbc.com, or you can visit the website I mentioned earlier at michaeldukovic.com. And there's a lot of great information on there. Certainly come and visit and, and figure out what you need. And, and we can certainly talk about your particular situation. And, and if it makes sense, we can certainly engage and work together. And to that point, I want to work with people who understand they shouldn't be doing it alone and, and people who value the plan and people that recognize that life's greatest returns are only realized when you invest beyond your money. So remember, it's your money. It's your life. Take control. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Your Money podcast with financial advisor, Mike Dukovich. Make sure you click the subscribe button now so you will be notified when new podcasts are released. If you want to know more about working with Mike, please call 724-933-4446 or visit michaeldukovich.com. It's your money. It's your life. Take control. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. All opinions and estimates constitute the speaker's judgment as of the date of this recording and are subject to change without notice and are provided in good faith but without legal responsibility. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial services provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investment should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. Asset allocation and diversification do not assure profit or protect against loss. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, and SIPC.